Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Family Sanctuary, a show that inspires living the gospel message in word and deed within our families. And now, Family Sanctuary with host Peggy Hartshorn. Welcome to Family Sanctuary, focusing on life-giving relationships and the family. I'm your host, Peggy Hartshorn, chairman of Heartbeat International that advances life-affirming pregnancy help around the globe. And we're focusing now on the Family Sanctuary on a series of programs on issues surrounding the dignity of the person, especially on abortion. With the fall of Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs Supreme Court decision recently, abortion is again front and center, and there are efforts in almost every state, including ours, to make abortion a right in our state constitution. So now is the time to understand the truth about abortion, both the science and what our church teaches, because there are so many lies that you will be hearing, and I'm sure you already have, in the media, online, even perhaps from friends and family. Now's the time to learn and share the truth. So today, our program is on the topic of whether ectopic pregnancy or miscarriage treatment is an abortion. And actually, we've heard this this accusation, this lie, uh, in the media recently that uh, if abortion is restricted in any way, um, women will not be able to be treated for ectopic pregnancy or miscarriage because that would be considered an abortion. So uh, with us today to dispel that lie and to tell us the truth about medical treatment for ectopic pregnancy and miscarriage, we have a very distinguished physician, Dr. Christina Francis. Welcome, Christina. Thank you so much for having me, Peggy. <laughs> You're so welcome, and thank you for being my guest. I want to give Dr. Francis a good introduction here. She's a board-certified OBGYN. She currently works in Fort Wayne, Indiana, as an OBGYN hospitalist. Uh, she completed medical school at Indiana University in 2005, did her residency at St. Vincent Hospital in Indian Indianapolis, and she is now the CEO of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetrics and Gynecologist. As she's an associate scholar with the Charlotte Lozier Institute and a board member of Indiana Right to Life, and a physician member of the Abortion Pill Reversal Network, which is part of Heartbeat International. So I'm thrilled that you're part of that network, Christina. Uh, Christina has always had a passion for human rights, spending a significant portion of her life in various countries, working tirelessly on behalf of women and children. Um, I understand you spent uh, three years as an OBGYN on a, in a mission hospital in rural Kenya. And so you really understand what true reproductive health is for women. Uh, Christina has written extensively on issues surrounding women's health and abortion, and her her uh, work has been published in the Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, and USA Today, and of course also in many of the resources that are on the wonderful website of APLOG, A-A-P-L-O-G.org, uh, which we'll be talking about some of the resources you provide, I know, as you, as you uh, speak with us, Christina. So thank you, and welcome again to uh, our program. And it's just wonderful how much expertise you bring to this, along with your colleagues, of course, at APLOG. Oh, well, thank you so much, Peggy. Again, it's such a pleasure to be here. And, and those of us at APLOG are so thankful for Heartbeat and all of the amazing work that you all are doing, especially 
uh, through so many things. Actually, I was at your conference recently, and, and there's so many things that you all are doing that I wasn't even aware of, actually. And so it's wonderful to see that, but also just so wonderful to partner with you all on uh, on abortion pill reversal and, you know, very exciting to to be a part of that. And um, of course, yeah. all the wonderful pro-life doctors, ob- obstetrics and gynecologists who are uh, part of our network as medical directors of pregnancy centers. And uh, it's just a wonderful collaboration. So, <laughs> well, yeah, tell us absolutely. about this. It must frustrate. Uh, it would me if I were an OBGYN for sure. This uh, idea that abortion is health care for women. Uh, it, it just is is a disgusting concept. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It is very frustrating. And just to give, you know, for any of your listeners who maybe aren't familiar with who we are as an organization, I think it'll be good to sort of give some background of, of where we're approaching this issue from. Um, you know, we are a professional medical organization. We're not a, not a religious organization, although many of our members um, are, are people of faith. But we um, we exist to equip our members and the public and pregnancy care centers such as those within the Heartbeat Network with the medical evidence that supports the pro-life position because the bottom line is the vast majority of the medical evidence actually shows that abortion is not health care. Induced abortion, which has the sole intent, and this is going to be important, I think, for our discussion today, Um, induced abortion that has the sole intent of ending the life of my fetal patient actually has no place in healthcare. It's, it's damaging for women. It's certainly damaging for our fetal patients and, and the medical evidence bears out that there's no health benefits to it for our patients. And so that's, that's the sort of background of where we're coming from. We came out of the American college of OBGYNs as we started as a special interest group there 50 years ago. Um, and then became our own organization in 2013 and now represent uh, approximately 7,000 members and growing every day. And uh, because I think, you know, more and more people within the medical profession are realizing the damage that uh, elective induced abortion has done to our patients. And so it has for us been very frustrating, as you said, starting actually the day the Tobbs decision came out to hear this false narrative, um, you know, some of which might be intentional, some of which I think is is just being born out of confusion and, and fear. You know, after living under the under the tyranny of Roe for 50 years, most people that are in medical practice right now have never practiced out, outside of that framework. And so, um, you know, so starting to hear that drumbeat that, that you're referring to of now if states are able to regulate abortion in any way, now women are not going to be able to receive the care that they need for things like miscarriage or ectopic pregnancy when nothing could be further from the truth. And we know that for a couple of reasons. We know that because pre-Roe, when abortion was illegal in most states, actually, women were able to be treated for miscarriages. They were able, they were able to be treated for ectopic pregnancy. But we also know that there's not a single state law in this country right now that prohibits the treatment of either one of these conditions. In fact, oftentimes they're clearly excluded. You know, there's clear language in the law that says this law does not apply in the circumstance of a miscarriage or an ectopic pregnancy. And the reason that's the case is because again, going back to that intent piece, the sole intent of an abortion, of an induced abortion, is to end the life of that preborn human being. 
that's not our intent when we're treating an ectopic pregnancy. And that doesn't even apply when we're talking about miscarriage because miscarriage by definition is where that fetal human being, that preborn human being has already lost his or her life um, from natural causes. And so, you know, this, this equivocation of these two very different things is, is really egregious in, in my viewpoint, especially coming from within the medical community. Mm-hmm. You can understand why ordinary people who don't know much about medicine might be confused, but the medical profession certainly knows the difference. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, oh, that that Absolutely. is so frustrating. Yeah. I, I loved what you said, Christina, the first time you made the point uh, of the sole intent of abortion. You said the sole intent of abortion is ending the life, you said, of one of my patients. <laughs> because, of course, you're, you yeah, have two well, patients. You know, it's one of the reasons why I chose the field of OBGYN is because of the unique challenge that we have as physicians in caring for two patients at once. Mm-hmm. And it does present unique challenges. They're not insurmountable, um, but it does present unique challenges. In fact, I often say that, you know, it's funny when working in a hospital, when you have um, a, a pregnant woman who comes in maybe with a condition not even related to her pregnancy. So you need to bring in other specialists uh, to help in her care. And they don't want to be the admitting physician for her because they're concerned because there's another patient that we're dealing with. So, you know, every specialty, not just ours, recognizes that when a woman is pregnant, we're talking about two distinct human beings. And that's why they want us as OBGYNs on board with sure. care because we know how to take care of both of them, you know. So we'll come on board to help take care of baby and they'll take care of the, the issue that's going on with mom. And so this is, you know, when we're not specifically focused on the topic of abortion, I think everyone within medicine actually recognizes that we've got two distinct patients here. Mm. But for some reason, when we had talk about abortion, you know, those sort of ideological ideas uh, that may be repeating myself, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, take over, um, I think, common sense. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, and, and then it's like all that we know about medicine seems to go out the window and, and we just focus on not we, but, you know, those who are promoting abortion just focus on this sort of quote unquote right to abortion and, and, you know, everything we know about medicine then goes out the window. Sure. Um, But again, I think if people are being honest, physicians and other medical professionals, they recognize that we're taking care of two distinct human beings Mm -hmm. here. And I think that point, as you mentioned, is especially important with the subject of ectopic pregnancy, Mm -hmm. because uh, I have been, I've, I, I've been researching also this subject. My mother uh, had an ectopic pregnancy before I was born, and um, she they had to do life saving uh, work on her. She was a uh, was she was a nurse during World War II. She was in nursing in the hospital, and uh, she just actually passed out uh, and they put her in a bed uh, in a room. They were all so busy. They didn't have time to take care of her for a while. <laughs> and she oh. almost died uh, from yeah. bleeding because they didn't realize she had an ectopic pregnancy. So um, I know uh, from personal experience, again, the story of my family that when abortion was uh, totally illegal in every state of the union back at the time of world war two, um, 
people were treated for ectopic pregnancy. And and often, as your material says on your APLOG site, which which I love the research that's available there, aaplog.org, uh, in the case of ectopic pregnancy, there are clearly two patients there, uh, the embryo and the mother. And, uh, and in many cases, the embryo has already passed away once we know that a woman has an ectopic pregnancy. So could you talk some more about the, the, the two patients in the treatment of ectopic pregnancy and what, what an ectopic pregnancy actually really is and how it is treated? Yeah, so ectopic pregnancy is a a fairly common condition, actually. It occurs in about one in 50 pregnancies. And it's a condition where the embryo implants somewhere where it's not supposed to, so somewhere outside of the cavity of um, the mother's uterus. Most commonly, this is in the fallopian tube, although it can occur in other places, but the vast majority occur in the fallopian tube. And the reason that this is dangerous for the mother is because really the only organ in a woman's body that is designed to grow and expand with a growing uh, baby, a growing pregnancy is the uterus. And so when that embryo implants in, let's say the fallopian tube, the the fallopian tube can accommodate that for a a certain period of time. But as that embryo continues to grow, um, it outgrows the capacity of the tube to expand. And so then what happens is that the tube can rupture And then because of just the normal blood flow that's going to the fallopian tube, but also the increased blood flow that's going to help nourish that developing baby, um, then that can cause life-threatening hemorrhage into a woman's abdomen. And so Christina, excuse me, I need to interrupt you just for a minute to reintroduce you, actually, because uh, we're about halfway through our program. And I like for those who have just joined us to know that uh, the experts speaking to us today about ectopic pregnancy and also uh, miscarriage and if that is related to abortion, uh, is Dr. Christina Francis, a board-certified OBGYN who's currently uh, in Fort Wayne, Indiana as an OBGYN hospitalist, and she is the CEO of APLOG, the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. Okay, Christina, you've been explaining a little bit uh, what happens when the embryo starts developing in the fallopian tube, and the tube bursts, which is, of course, as the embryo grows and develops, there's not room in the tube that the embryo is supposed to be in the uterus. And so that is life-threatening, the bleeding, the the, the blood uh, that is going there to nourish the embryo and, and regular blood flow combined uh, leads to um, a, a, a life-threatening situation for the mother. Yeah, Absolutely. And so, it, you know, it still is one of the leading causes of maternal mortality in the first trimester, even even here in the U.S., where we have, you know, for the most part, pretty good access to to emergency care. Um, and so, this is this is again not an uncommon condition that women face. And so, this equivocation, though, of the treatment of this, which has to be treated in order to save the woman's life, you know, when we're faced with a situation where either we can lose both lives, both mom and baby, or we can save one. Obviously, as, as people who are pro-life, we want to save all the lives that we can. And so that means we intervene. If we could save both of them in this situation, we absolutely would do that. Unfortunately, our medical technology is not to the point where that's possible. And so the person that we can save in this scenario is the mother. And so we do need to intervene in order to either prevent that life-threatening bleeding from occurring 
or to stop it when it's already in process. And so, you know, there's a few different ways we do that. We can do that surgically where you either remove the entire tube or you open the tube and, and remove the pregnancy, um, or it can be treated with a medication called methotrexate are, are the options that are available for treatment. But I think it's important to note that what is our intent when we're doing any of any of these options in, in treating ectopic pregnancy? Our intent is to save the life of the mother. Our intent is not to end the life of that preborn child. And so that's what differentiates this from an induced abortion, where our only intent is to end the life of that preborn child. In fact, we know that because how do we classify a failed abortion? It's a failed abortion when that child survives the process. So that, you know, that tells us what the intent of the abortion process is. Um, you know, again, if, if at some point our, our medical technology ever uh, advances to the point where we can save that child's life in an ectopic pregnancy situation, then absolutely, that's what we would do as pro-life physicians. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also important to remember that another reason why it's ridiculous to compare this to an induced abortion, which is intervening in a healthy pregnancy um, to end the life of that child, is in the vast majority of cases, by the time we make the diagnosis of an ectopic pregnancy, it's something like 93% of cases, that preborn child will have already passed away, actually. And so most times, we're not even dealing with a child who's alive. Um, and so in that way, it becomes very much like miscarriage treatment. But even in those cases, and I think this is an important um, distinction to make, even in those cases where that child is living, unfortunately, again, we still do have to intervene. The unintended consequence of that is that that child will lose his or her life, but we know that that child would lose his or her life regardless, even if we didn't intervene. And then in that situation, we would very likely be looking at losing mom's life as well. Mm -hmm. And so this has always been understood. You know, I know um, I'm not Catholic, but I have lots of friends who are. And I, you know, I know even within Catholic teaching, this has always been understood that we intervene to do the least harm and do the most good, you know, mm -hmm. save who we can and do it in a way that respects the dignity of both of our patients. And that's what's being done when we intervene in, in treating ectopic pregnancies. And again, I think it's important to note, this is not prevented by a single state law currently on the books or any that I'm aware of being proposed anywhere in the U.S. Uh, with regards to abortion. And nor has it ever been, even when abortion right. was uh, illegal in every state. So... Well, thank you, Christina. That was a very clear explanation, and I believe in Catholic ethical teaching. That's called the principle of double effect, mm -hmm. that a positive action uh, may have an unintended and unavoidable consequence, negative consequence that is never intended, uh, and, and that is the teaching in Catholic morality. So thank you very much for that clear explanation. And how does now, how also, because we're facing this accusation that uh, limiting the right to abortion, so-called right to abortion, or limiting abortion would also prohibit physicians from treating miscarriage. And as, as you pointed out earlier, uh, it, it's even... Uh, even more of a stretch here because in the case of a miscarriage, the fetus, the embryo, the unborn child already has has died. And mm -hmm. so we're not intervening at all uh, to uh, to save the life uh, or to <laughs> uh, we're, we're not 
it's, it's a totally different situation than going in with the intent, as you say, the sole intent of ending the life is actually how we define abortion. So how does this accusation even come up that somehow abortion would prevent us from treating miscarriages? Yeah, well, and this is, you know, I think this is very damaging that this this uh, equivocation is being made um, out there in the media and, and from pro-abortion voices, because not only is it false, which we're going to talk about, but it's also very damaging to women who are going through something like a miscarriage um, for them to be made to feel that they somehow are, ha- are, are per- having an abortion performed when they're being treated for their miscarriage. And I actually saw the damage that this could do even before the Dobbs decision. So I think where some of the confusion comes up is that the medical term abortion uh, for about 100 years has been applied to the ending of a pregnancy by any cause prior to 20 weeks. So a miscarriage in the medical diagnosis codes is referred to as a spontaneous abortion, meaning the pregnancy ended prior to 20 weeks, but spontaneously. So through through no action by anyone, it just happened naturally on its own. And, you know, I had patients who would go home from the hospital with their discharge paperwork after being treated for miscarriage, and they saw this term there, and they would call very upset and ask me, is that what happened? Did I have an abortion? And I would explain to them, no, in no way was this the same thing. So I say that just to say that that when this narrative is going on out there, it's actually very damaging to women as well, because it's causing confusion and and hurt there that doesn't need to be there on top of the trauma uh, of the loss of their child that they're already going through. Um, Yes, Christina, I've heard this from women in the pregnancy center arena as well, where they've come home after a miscarriage and have has seen that medical code, spontaneous abortion and been very, very upset. You're you're so right on that. Yeah. And I do actually think that it's something that needs to be changed um, within our diagnosis codes within medicine um, because of that, because of the harm, I think that it has cost patients. And, and that's definitely very possible. I think it would take years for that to happen, but but I think it's worthwhile to work towards. But even that being said, it has, again, been long understood within the practice of medicine that these are not the same thing. And in fact, we when we talk to our patients, we use the word miscarriage because we understand that that one, that's what we're talking about, but two, that that's much more acceptable for patients to understand that this is not the same thing as an abortion. And so where I think, so I think that's one cause of confusion are those those diagnosis codes. Um, but the other is that sometimes we will use similar procedures to treat a miscarriage as we would to do an induced abortion. But that doesn't mean that they're the same thing. So for instance, oftentimes a first trimester miscarriage could be treated using a surgical procedure called a DNC or a dilation and curatage. That same procedure could be used to dismember a living fetal human being for a first trimester induced abortion, but they are not at all the same thing. And a DNC for a miscarriage is not outlawed in states that have decided to regulate abortion in the first trimester. And you know, I thought through this a lot because again, a lot of this came up really intensely after the Dobbs decision and and just very frustrating to me. And I was thinking through, you know, are there other things in medicine that we do that intent really matters? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the parts of my job is that I do C-sections when they're needed. 
Um, when I use not to get too, I'll try not to get too graphic because I know not everybody listening to this is medical, but you know, when I use a scalpel to make an incision on a woman's abdomen to do a C-section, my intent is either to help her or her baby or both. However, if I did that exact same thing with the intent to harm either one of them, it would be completely wrong and everybody would recognize that. So I could use the exact same surgical techniques, but with different intent. And it would completely change whether or not that was something morally acceptable and ethically acceptable within medicine and morally wrong or ethically wrong within medicine. And so intent actually plays very much into what we do as physicians all the time. And we recognize that and understand that. And so I think that's where it's really important to clear this up that yes, some of the procedures like a DNC or certain medications that we might use to treat a miscarriage can also be used to induce an abortion with the intent of ending that fetal human being's life. Um, but it's the intent piece that makes it right or wrong. And it's the intent piece that makes it either legal or illegal in states that have decided to regulate abortion. And, and Christina, it's also, as you mentioned, the, the end or the object of the act itself. Are you, uh, is the child already deceased uh, mm-hmm. when this action takes place or is the child living? <laughs> and, yeah, and are absolutely. you killing a living human being or are you saving uh, one of your patients? So it, it is the intent, yes, but it also is important that the actual outcome or end of the action is very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're right. You know, saying that saying that dismembering a living human being who sometimes, depending on how far along you are in the pregnancy, is capable of feeling exquisite pain mm-hmm. uh, in that procedure is the same thing as removing a, a human being who has already passed away. Trying to equivocate those two things is ludicrous to me. Mm-hmm. And I think if anybody... Mm-hmm steps back and really honestly thinks about it, they would recognize that it's not at all the same thing. Absolutely. You know? and so, yeah. Well, yeah. thank and you. And again, help making women, especially families who are going through the tragic loss of a child, feel that it is the same thing is very emotionally damaging. And it's emotionally manipulative because I think that that oftentimes is being used to get people to support very permissive laws on abortion absolutely out of the fear that they may not be able to receive life-saving care when they need to such a good point well dr francis unfortunately where we are out of time you've just given us so much to think about and so much important information thank you so much for being our guest today and for our listeners this program of course will be in our podcasts Uh, i want to refer again to the website aplog aaplog.com also if anybody listening to the program has had an abortion or miscarriage needs support, uh, please call optionline.org 1-800-712-HELP or 4357-1-800-712-4357 or check pregnancycenters.org. There is help and support available. And you're listening today to The Family Sanctuary on stgabrielradio.com. We're broadcast at four o'clock on Sundays and at four o'clock on Saturdays and two o'clock on Sundays. So please join us again to strengthen our families and make them sanctuaries of life as God intends. 
Family Sanctuary is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Family Sanctuary with Peggy Hartshorn are available at stgabrielradio.com.